Hey, this is uh, Kevin Richards, and I'm here uh, with Paul Wright uh, from Northern Illinois University, uh, and we're here to discuss his 2011 article uh, titled uh, The Tool for Assessing Responsibility-Based Education, or, or TEAR, Instrument Development, Content Validity, and Inter-Rater Reliability, uh, and that was published in Measurement in Physical Education and Exercise Science. So thank you so much, Paul, for joining us to talk about your article. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm really excited about this podcast series, so I'm, I'm glad to be a contributor to it. Thank you. And uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge my co-author on this, Mark Craig. Um, I did this research when I was in uh, Memphis, at the University of Memphis, and Mark was a graduate student at the time working on his master's degree, and which actually his, his master's project was a spin-off of, the, of this work that we did. Uh, so he was there with me shoulder to shoulder through everything you'll read in the paper. Awesome. Um, thank you for that, Paul. Uh, so as a separate uh, interview that's going to be posted along with this conversation, uh, you provided an overview of the Teaching Personal and Social Responsibility, or TPSR, model. Um, so specific to this article, um, what was your motivation for developing a systematic observation instrument to measure responsibility-based instruction? Okay. Well. The, the TPSR model, as I've explained elsewhere, had been evolving for several decades, you know, from Don Hellison's early work in the 1970s. And it's a model that has inspired a lot of teachers and practitioners because of its, its philosophy and base, basis and values of empowering kids and teaching, teaching life skills they can transfer to other settings. Um, but one thing, because it was developed in practice, which is, I think, one of the great strengths of the model, uh, it, it was often criticized over the decades. Don would say he was much maligned in the literature um, for not having enough uh, empirical support and a theoretical basis for the model. So, you know, I came into this work starting with Don in the late 90s, and as I was coming into my own as a, as a faculty member and a researcher, you know, I was, I was working off of that backdrop. Uh, this model we know is very well developed and well liked in practice, uh, but really needed to be shored up in terms of theory and, and empirical evidence. And so, so that was one of the things that I, I set as a priority in my own work, is figuring out how can we add to the, the literature on this model, not replace the action research and the, and the qualitative work that was going on, but, but complement it with, with some other methods and some other approaches. And so I set about doing a lot of work with instrument development. And I had already developed, a, with Wei Dung Lee, a survey instrument for, for personal and social responsibility that, that was validated and could be used with students. But what we didn't have was a way to systematically quantify or, or assess what are teachers doing to promote the model. Uh, and, and this wasn't specific to TPSR, but a lot of intervention approaches, a lot of teaching models, when you do research on them or you read the research, they fall into the black box trap where, where they say, we implemented this model, we did all this great stuff, um, and then here's what came out of it or didn't come out of it. But then when you say, wait a second, wait a second, let's talk about what happened there in the middle, <laughs> week to week, day to day, what were you doing with the kids? What was happening, what was not happening? Um, that, that's a, such a common trap. So uh, exposure to other systematic observation tools got me thinking, I wonder if there's a way to address this with TPSR to figure out, essentially this, this was also a challenge to say, what, what would fidelity to the model look like? Um, how can we document and assess what a teacher is doing in a way that would generate you know, some solid data and, and would reflect whether someone or to the, the extent to which somebody is promoting responsibility with kids? 
Um, so that's sort of the backdrop, the, the things I was looking at when I started this project. Yeah, awesome. Um, so can you give us, uh, and you've, you've kind of done this a little bit already, but perhaps a little bit more uh, of a background on the research that, that preceded this article, and maybe give us an overview of, of what we know about the TPSR model from previous research. So from, you know, Don started developing the, the ideas through his own practice, working with, with youth in alternative schools and after-school programming for years. A lot of that work done in the 80s and 90s. So what we had in the literature by uh, Don Helson and Dave Walsh did a review of the evaluation studies in about 2002. This was published in Quest. I think at that time there were 26 different studies that they reviewed. Um, most of those I would put, you could be classified as action research. It, it was an expert practitioner in many cases, a Don Hellison, a Dave Walsh, a Tom Martinek, um, writing up and evaluating a program they had delivered themselves. And that was, that's a great strength in a body of literature to, because that, that shows how we use practice as a testing ground for ideas, um, seeing what works, what doesn't work, how we can reflect on that and improve from it. Um, but as I said, most of the work was done by expert practitioners in alternative settings and reported as action research. And that's not all of it, but that, that characterized it. Um, from that point on, we got more people interested in using quantitative methods and trying to do larger scale studies. Um, and, and like I said, I was one of the people that got interested in developing instrumentation and thinking about you know, how can we generate other types of data to ask different types of questions. Um, so much of, the, much of the work, you know, going on at this time was starting to point us in that direction of how can we do other types of methodologies, how can we look more at the idea of transfer. That continues to be one of our big um, challenges is to say we've, we've got a pretty good approach to evaluating a program experience and immediate outcomes for kids in terms of engagement, changes in their perception, their behavior uh, in the program setting. But transfer beyond the program setting was and, and still is one of our challenges. So that's sort of the lay of the land as it's been evolving with GPSR research. Nobody had done anything systematic in terms of observation tools or looking at, at uh, teacher uh, implementation or fidelity up to this point. Awesome. Um, I borrowed that concept from other bodies of research and tools I was aware of. <clears throat> awesome. So, um, you know, I, I don't think anybody would argue the importance of, of personal and social responsibility, um, but, but the question that you might get is how does responsibility-based instruction fit with the overarching goals of physical education, which is inherently, you know, a movement-based physical discipline? Right. Well, um, an easy way to answer that initially is just looking at the national content standards, um, which every iteration of them has has acknowledged. Surprisingly, it's never given a nod to Don Hellison, <laughs> but it has always included verbiage about uh, personally and socially responsible behavior. Um, that sets the content, uh, and and at points we've had five, at points we've had six, uh, six of them. But uh, that's always been included alongside with cognitive uh, and psychomotor objectives and physical activity objectives. So it's an integrated part of, of the field of our curriculum and, and always has been in practice, currently is based in policy. And if you, if you look at the literature, you can see that, um, and if you go out to a gym and hang out, you'll see this. Um, <laughs> A teacher who can't work with the affective domain and isn't addressing these issues 
can't be successful in addressing the other outcomes either. It's not either or, it's not is this optional, it's an integrated part of good teaching and a positive physical education experience. Yeah, awesome. So uh, in this study, you talk about nine different responsibility-based teaching strategies. So can you talk about, uh, can you talk a little bit about how you came to those strategies? Yeah, you know, as I said, I wanted to start thinking about fidelity uh, as, as one of the, the benefits of an instrument like this. It would be a tool to speak to fidelity. So that pushes you to think, well, what what is essential? What really characterizes this model and distinguishes it, distinguishes it from others? Um, and I'm really going to geek out for a second. Um, I love acronyms. Kevin knows this. I love acronyms. Um, TEAR, I, I worked and worked and worked until I got it to fit. But uh, it, that's the acronym for teaching uh, uh, the tool for assessing responsibility-based education. But I made it fit the word TEAR because that means something in measurement. It's, it's when you separate things out, right? It's if you're going to measure, you know, five grams of sodium chloride, you've got to first measure that vessel and separate that out from the five grams. You know, if that thing weighs two grams, it's going to say seven. You've got to do the tearing. You've got to separate that out. So I sort of used that kind of thinking and said, all right, what I want to do is distinguish what's the difference between implementing TPSR, responsibility-based education, versus just good teaching. Right, because if you just say, well, it's about having a good relationship with the kids, it's about being positive, that applies to TPSR, but that applies to any good teaching, right? So what, what my mission was, was to figure out how to tease out and separate out where, where and in what ways does TPSR implementation separate out from just good teaching practice. Mm. And even harder, student-centered teaching practice. You know, if, if it's just about getting kids to cooperate, creating a positive environment, being student-centered, how is it different than sport ed? How is it different than cooperative learning, right? So I sort of tried to set up a continuum from the most fundamental practice, like the first one is modeling respect. Th that's fundamental to any good teaching, any good teaching model, but I include it because it's foundational to TPSR too. If you're not doing that, you can't build to these higher level things. Same with setting expectations, opportunities for success, social interaction. We're starting to get maybe to where we distinguish a little bit to student-centered teaching. But what we move up to is by the end, these strategies are talking about giving kids choices and voices in the program, which reflects empowerment that even with really good teachers doesn't always happen. Um, giving kids leadership roles, actually putting them in charge of other kids, that doesn't always happen. Um, and the last, the ninth strategy is talking about transfer. I've said elsewhere, elsewhere that I think that distinguishes TPSR the most from other models is that there's this explicit and direct focus on teaching life skills and talking about how those can transfer to other places. So it's a continuum essentially of things that the average you know, PE teacher should do if they're a, if they're a decent teacher um, to what you would see in other student-centered or best practice approaches to by the end, things that really aren't commonplace unless you've got an explicit focus on, if not TPSR exactly, the idea of promoting personal and social responsibility with kids. Yeah, excellent. Um, so systematic observation instruments are developed in a variety of different ways. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why you chose to use interval recording for the first part of the tear and then a rating scale for parts two and three? Right. Well, one of the things, uh, my main focus, as I've just discussed, was that idea of focusing on the teacher, putting that sort of a laser-like focus on them and what they're doing um, in a way that we could quantify it. Um, 
But I realized that, that when you get that granular, you can miss things. So I wanted the, Don in, in his 2011 uh, version of his text, addition to that, um, introduced this idea of four different themes that characterize TPSR implementation or the, sort of at the heart of it. So I thought, you know, to balance this granular data at the interval level, there might be some things we're not capturing in there. So, so if somebody spent a whole lesson watching this teacher and their interaction with kids and their style, maybe there are some more sort of holistic or global impressions that, that we should be capturing. So it didn't go as far as making qualitative or ethnographic field notes along the way, but it's essentially a chance for the, the, the observer, after all the you know, interval by interval ratings, to sort of take a, a broader view, pull the focus back and say, overall, what's the vibe with the relationship between this teacher and these kids? What's my sense of, is this an empowering kind of a climate? Um, and the same thing with the kids. The, the, the rating scale, uh, section three, is essentially about rating how were the kids, how was the kids' behavior in the class. That was more for contextual information at this time. So there's a subsequent version, the Tear 2.0, we, we uh, further develop that student rating to be on par with the teacher rating. But in this initial version, sections two and three were more for contextual information and holistic rating. So they're not, they don't generate as much data and it's not as granular. But that's okay because the primary focus at the time was on the teacher. Yeah, um, so moving into the results uh, real quickly, um, you compare novice and expert teachers using the various uh, tear categories. Can you talk a little bit about what you found from those comparisons? You know, um, some difference in, in the novice and the expert, I think if you, if you look at the interval by interval, the nine different teaching strategies, there weren't stark differences um, between the, the, how should I say this? What we were reporting was the level of agreement, right? So our results have more to do with how consistently were we reading what they were doing so that didn't vary much between the novice and, and the experienced teacher. What we saw in terms of the absolute results was that an experienced teacher, and, and this one happened to be an excellent teacher, she'd won the Teacher of the Year Award in her state, so I knew she was you know, arguably an expert. Um, her rapport with the kids, her, the, the level of student-centered uh, activity, um, the, the positive environment, we're all hired, not that the novice was doing anything wrong, but she was just truly an expert at creating that kind of a climate. Even though she didn't have an explicit focus on personal and social responsibility, as I argued before, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an excellent teacher that doesn't also do this stuff pretty well. Mm. But what we saw with her, uh, that's where she separated out from the novice teacher, was, was being better at that student-centered and relational stuff but she's still leveled out in terms of providing empowering experiences. Um, those higher level issues like talking about transfer just didn't show up. Now, Mark and I saw that with great consistency, <laughs> hence our ratings being 100%, but, um, but if, I, if I look back at her practice, it gave us just some, some variation to say, this doesn't just work with one kind of teacher, mm. but it can work with a, a range of teachers. Awesome, so um, kind of moving into uh, some of the discussion points, uh, in your opinion, what's the biggest single takeaway from this study? So, really, the, the, what I think the the leap forward that, that came with it um, in my thinking, and, and I'm pleased to see how many other people have, have put this to use, I think it's worked for them too, is the idea of how to address fidelity with a model that's 
meant to be flexible and apply across the, the spectrum, the, the developmental spectrum. Um, so so the, the key idea for me is being able to talk about fidelity and address fidelity in a way that you, you've identified some things that are essential and characteristic of this approach, but it's not prescriptive, it's not so narrow. Um, I, I usually refer to the difference between strategies and tactics. Mm -hmm. Giving students leadership roles is a strategy, but how you do that tactically is going to depend a lot on are you working with, with a 7-year-old or a 17-year-old. Um, what, where's that kid at in terms of what they're ready to take on? It might just be coming to the front of the room to lead a, a discrete exercise. Or it might be putting a student in charge of a team for the day and having them draw up you know, offensive drills and defensive drills and run a practice. Um, that, if you get down into the minutia of prescribing the tactics, then I don't think it's gonna work for all teachers in all settings. But if you don't identify what are those core strategies uh, to start the conversation, how can you argue that this is TPSR and not sport ed or cooperative learning? Yeah. So that balance was key to me. Yeah, awesome. So um, what, are, what are some of the practical applications of using the TEAR uh, for providing or improving the quality of instruction in physical education? Well, the, the TEAR, this version, which I now call 1.0 because we came up with a 2.0, this version um, I still think is the best one for very practical program evaluations and for, for teacher development. Because what you can do is you can apply this um, there's a self-rating version a teacher could use, but you could have a peer who has a little bit of instruction and, and guidelines to follow, like the article, um, can do these ratings and give feedback later on and identify, I see you doing a lot of this and a lot of that, but can you think of some ways you might integrate more choices and voices for the kids? Um, so that combination, and Michael Hemphill did a brilliant job of this in his dissertation, um, you can use a combination of an outside party coming in and observing objectively. You could have peers observing each other and debriefing, and you can also do self-reflection. And in his dissertation, he did that combination of all three of those strategies. But the end game is, if you care about your implementation of TPSR or generally promoting responsibility with your kids, this is a great structure. It doesn't cover everything, but it gives you some pretty good indicators for what you tend to do and what you're not doing and to prompt your thinking of, you know, how can I implement some change? And then you've got some documentation to assess that change. Have you had a change in your practice? That would apply to individuals, um, the entire faculty at a school, or even district-wide work. You know, this can be a guideline for uh, assessing baseline, setting goals, tracking improvement. While the terror is framed primarily around the TPSR model, uh, does it have application for other instruction in physical education? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because as I mentioned before, with one of our national content standards explicitly stating personally and socially responsible behavior, that means every PE teacher in every school at every grade level should be addressing personal and social responsibility. They don't have to be using the TPSR model per se, but they should be addressing that as content and this would be therefore a useful tool for any PE teacher to say, how am I doing with this part? We've got a lot of tools for saying, how am I doing with getting the kids physically active 50% or more of the time? We've got you know, lots of ways to assess cognitive and fitness. We've got fitness gram, we've got all that stuff. But we have very few tools out there to say, how am I doing with promoting personal and social responsibility? 
it is one of the core uh, pillars of our content. Uh, so we need some tools to address that too, and it applies to everyone. And I'll just make a final nod to there's a ton of interest brewing in um, social and emotional learning. And that applies not only to physical education, but school-wide. And I'm in the state of Illinois. We have uh, statewide K through 12 social emotional learning standards. Um, using this, teachers I work with and districts I work with can immediately make the link to that framework as well because they've got some data to say, what are we doing to teach kids personal and social skills? Awesome. Um, so as we get, kind of push towards the end of the conversation, get ready to wrap up, um, from your perspective, uh, what, uh, what are some future directions that you see involving the tear? Um, so, you know, the original intentions, um, I just see those playing out really nicely. It is being used a lot as um, a fidelity check. So if people are doing a study on TPSR, and they're trying to claim outcomes attached to implementation of this model, um, this helps them address that black box and document exactly what did and didn't happen. So it's being used as a fidelity check, a fidelity tool. Um, and I see that growing. Um, it, you and I, Kevin, have had conversations about structural equation modeling as, a, as an approach to sort of looking at the relationships between teacher behavior, student experiences, um, people's perceptions. So observational data can be an important part of uh, studies like that. Uh, at the very practical level, like we said, I'm, I'm working to try to get teachers and districts to see the practical value in this of improving practice. Um, it can be integrated, not much has been done with this yet, but it can be integrated into a pre-service teacher preparation. Um, where it's a framework along with ALTPE and along with SOFIT and along with Fitnessgram, why not introduce, because this represents again a pillar of the, the curriculum, um, why not introduce a systematic way of thinking about how are you doing this and how are you assessing this? Awesome. So, um, Paul, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I think this has been a really fascinating peek into how uh, you and your colleague conceptualized this instrument and have used it to better understand personal and social responsibility instruction in physical education. Um, for those of you who want to read the full article by Dr. Wright and his co-author, uh, you can check out the full, full citation in the comment sections below. Um, that's all we have uh, for you on this one, and, and thank you very much for listening. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thank you.